The Sports Career Podcast, episode 291. How to adapt effectively when coaching. Sports Achiever and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Career Podcast. I'm your host Ed Powers. As always my goal each week is to provide you an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in coaching. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now before I talk about this week's podcast special guest, I just want to let you know that every month I'll be doing a Sports Career Masterclass completely free helping you discover and start a career in the sports industry with confidence. For more information, go to education to sport forward slash masterclass, and I'll see you there. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Leslie Uphill. Leslie is a badminton coach and tutor at King's School for Badminton England, where she coaches children and disability athletes in the UK. So for that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Leslie as a podcast special guest. That's when today's episode, Leslie will share her sports career journey and explain to you the benefits of adapting when coaching. Leslie, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please share to listeners your coaching career journey. When did it all start? Okay, well, currently I'm the lead coach at the Canterbury Kings Club. Um, I'm also work for Badminton England as a tutor and assessor. Um, I suppose it all started when I did some volunteering, kind of coaching with my dad, a, a local junior club. And I kind of got the bug at that point. So I was probably only eight or nine and I could already see how rewarding coaching was. And um, through I'm also a, a Badminton player as well, a former junior international and uh England number one and uh, I think through my own journey as a player I came across some really good coaching role models um, and they just kind of showed me how how enjoyable it was and and just getting players to achieve things that you know weren't kind of what they thought were possible and uh, I thought you know this is for me so I kind of when when I was at the right age I got myself qualified did the relevant coaching qualifications and I suppose the rest is kind of history really. <laughs> just really quick I'm just curious was your father a badminton player as well? He used to yeah he used to play at clubs so I, I think when I was really young there was sometimes I had to go and watch him play some club matches and I do you know what and I thought do you know what I quite like this game it looks fun and uh, I want to be I'm <laughs> as competitive as I am even at that early age is like right I want to beat my dad I want to play badminton and beat my dad <laughs> out of interest what did you learn from him at that early stage of volunteering at coaching like because I think it's such a great start like starting very young volunteering you sort of learn these life skills very early on or even improving your communication skills yeah. with so we say strangers on the court not strangers in like an alleyway but you're meeting people which means you're interacting which means you're improving your communication skills. I'm just curious of what you learned so young volunteering. 
I think I think the one thing my dad was really good was was making learning fun. So that's the 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 main thing that's stuck in my in my brain really is make it fun. You know, do activities that are game based. So you know, sometimes the kids don't realise that they're actually learning something. Um, so that's kind of stuck with me through my coaching career. And just for the listeners who are into coaching, like with regards to making it a career, would you mind just sharing the benefits of volunteering? Because it is used quite a lot, like volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. But I assume there's a difference when, OK, I'm going to volunteer a period of time and then I actually want to make this a career into like, you know, a sort of like a career itself. So I'm just curious of when was the moment when you went, right, this is what I want to do as an occupation, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've got a really good story to tell you. Um, I think volunteering as a coach is vital. Um, you can learn so much from different coaches and other sports professionals. Um, I mean, you know, I was volunteering when I was at an age where I wasn't, I, that I couldn't actually go on a coaching course because you have to be uh, 16 to do what we call our foundation course. So leading up to that point, it was so crucial because you know you can just watch other coaches and just pick up pick up things that you you think uh, are valuable and you take on board and you can see what works what doesn't work so I think it's really important for coaches to to give that a go before they actually go into to paid coaching the way the way it works with me I'm also a personal trainer as well uh, on on side of being a, a badminton coach and a tutor I kind of ruptured my Achilles uh, when I was playing, a, I think, a county match at the time. And uh, I had about a good three months off. <laughs> and, I, and I was thinking about it. And I thought, you know what? I read some books about how to start a business up. And I knew I wanted to become a coach. And within that time, I read these books, put a business plan together. And uh, while I was off with, with my leg in plaster, and I started my business. And it's just kind of excelled. It's kind of snowballed. You know, you start off with the, the odd one-to-one. Um, and I got some lucky breaks. Uh, started doing a little bit at Canterbury Kings. And I think at, at the point, you know, as time went on, they said, you, you're doing so much, we might as well employ you. <laughs> and it's it's great. We now, I know, lead kind of a badminton program that's so extensive. We run it from uh, beginners to performance players, um, and we also have able body and I have two disability sessions as well, which are growing because there's not very many in the southeast region. We'll touch on that with regards to the people you're coaching. Like, I want to tap into like the disability side because I find it fascinating. But I just want to go back in time just for, for any young coaches, because many, many, many moons ago, I was a tennis coach myself from, gosh, the age of 13 to 22. And very similar. I sort of watched did that, the camps. But. What I want to touch on is there is so much benefits I had when coaching like that grassroots from the difference between coaching a seven-year-old to a 17-year-old. It may be, you know, uh, a few years gap, but it's it's different experience. And I just want to tap into that side of things where you learn so many skills of, let's say, language. When I was doing a, like a seven-year-old, my language was totally different to probably the 17-year-old, which was that sort of high performance sort of language of their technique so I'm just I would love to just tap into that side of things of the benefits of really learning with seven-year-olds just to 
just to get the experience of language of how we use our words when coaching. Abandon England have got some great initiatives out there, actually. We we have actually recently we've gone into primary schools. We had um, a project that we thought would only a few would sign on and we got about 13 schools on board. So luckily I have another colleague who joined in. But you just keep it simple. You keep it fun and simple with the these primary school kids. Um, the kit that you've got available is just phenomenal you have these (laughs) little fluff balls you have these big shuttles you have all these great bits of kit and it just makes it fun for the for the kids and and they love it really um and it's just just keep it simple they you know get your information across keep it basic keep it fun and get those basic skills in place for them you know you're working on your your fundamentals of movement your basics of, of hitting skills during that time and uh yeah it, it's great I mean I think the biggest thing when you're going into schools is group management because that can be challenging sometimes you go into schools that don't have a court you don't have a net so you just have to adapt and I think as a coach the more you coach and the more experience you have you find you're constantly adapt- adapting um and that's key really obviously you have your plans in place but never be afraid to adapt it so with regards to the adaption, because you're spot on, like really quickly, when I was doing some tennis coaching, I was at Durham Uni, we had to just use a hall and then, you know, those old school fashioned wooden benches. And so we had the rackets, we had the benches as the net. And like you said, we had to make it as a fun game as possible. So when you mean adaption, is it me? Do you mean with regards to um, there's things we can control, like the equipment, the lesson plan, but the adaption is really what we can't control. So maybe like the environment. I just want to be clear for the listeners so they can understand what you mean about adaption. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you you have the environment. You as a coach have to make it as safe um, as comfortable as possible for, for the for the children so they can grow. So it is more about how you can organize your your group within that hall and using like you say your benches how you organize them into small groups you're constantly adapting and just with regards to because you said really early on like when you're watching your father play you you had that competition bug should we say okay now going to the coaches as I always hear from other coaches like yep yeah, coaching should be fun with the you know the students you're coaching but there's always that line with like development player development where competition kicks in and then they keep saying well you've got to have fun (laughs) and there's always that fun and competition balance so I'm just intrigued of when you work with those more older athletes who are really dedicated to let's say badminton and hopefully want to go the elite route how does your coaching style adapt to that type of individual or group I'm just curious yeah uh, that's a really good question and there's a lot of answers to that, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Working with primary school kids, you get them to challenge themselves. So, for example, we do tricky tap-ups and you go, right, see how many you can do without the ball, like softball, uh, dropping on the floor, and then right, try and beat that. So they're already kind of challenging themselves at that kind of point. Um, and then, yeah, as, as they get a little bit older or and they go into that performance pathway, it gets a little bit more focused you, you um we obviously you agree set goals with them and um they have targets that they have to try and reach as players 
Um, but within the, within the session, obviously you get your, your technical skill with having that tactical element linked in with it. But then obviously you get that, the condition game. So they're still practicing that skill, but you kind of do have that competitive edge with it. So we have a, a little example. So if you're working on defense, we get everyone lined up. We, they have like three lives when they're defending and they've got to stay in as long as possible. And we have like mini groups along in the hall and they have to try and stay in as long as, as long as possible. So they're kind of trying to compete against the other players at the same time. But it's fun, though. They love it. They love that competitive. Oh, I used to love all the fun tennis games and I can relate to what you're saying. But I think the key thing, and my goodness, I wish I had this when I was a younger tennis player, um, is having looking at competition within ourselves, like sort of like internal competition, then external trying to beat the other player. Because sometimes that, this is just learning experience here, but when you're always focusing on the opponent that you really want to win and you keep losing, for example, that's where confidence goes down. But really, it should be yourself. So last thing about the grassroots side, because I think it's important from a young coach perspective, is it good to just focus on developing the, the young students' overall development, not just sport development, if that makes sense? So you mentioned goals, which I love what you said, like having a coach with the, the student creating a goal for them to try and achieve. I think that's a better approach, I think, than just focusing on the win all the time. I'm just love your thoughts on that side of things. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, and you're absolutely bang on there. Um, so it's all about the process, not the outcome goals so much, especially when they are um, quite young and developing. I think too much emphasis is put on outcome goals, like how many medals have you won, et cetera. But actually it's about the individual and how they develop. So you, you when you sit down with them, you kind of initially find out what, why do they, why do they play badminton? What do they want out of the sport, first of all? Find out what they enjoy. And then, then you start talking about their areas of development, what they think they're good at. And then you start kind of agreeing together those process, uh, those process goals with them. So they, so they can obviously help improve their own game. And that gets assessed regularly uh, through the year as well. Absolutely. I love what I'm hearing. So I think this is a side when I like we're talking nearly 20 plus years ago. So things have moved on in coaching. But I think this side, I think so much more important looking at the individual's overall growth. And may I ask one thing? I'm just curious here from your experience. How about from like a mindset perspective, like the psychology of growth? I'm just curious in that side, because everybody looks at the tactical skills, the physiology of a sport. May I ask how you've seen sort of, should we say, the mental side of like sort of like mental toughness in a way very early on to to develop like because I think if a, if a young child learns this of coping with adversity of a loss or becoming more resilient I think that's such a great quality to develop in life so I'm just curious on that side of things this is a re another good question actually because I'm on it on this course this coach mentoring course and we're actually at the, been discussing how you communicate um with adolescents um, and obviously they're going through some stressful times as well with exams, a lot of them. When it, when it comes to the mindset, I think as soon as they come in the door or as soon as you see them, build that rapport, see how their day is going, et cetera, try and get them to, to relax, uh, put them at ease a bit more. Um, and, and during our coaching sessions, we kind of come across that it's not about the winning. It's about what you've learned. 
from that, that particular game or what have you learned from that particular practice or activity that we that we've given you so we're trying to get them to to think about what they think they've improved on rather than i've just you know i keep being beaten by this particular person because it's so important it's about the journey um it's about them as individuals like you say developing to be kind of me mentally more strong and yeah you do get your moments in in sessions where some some kids do get upset but it's trying to you know have a chat with them and kind of say well you know what what do you think you did really well out there and then what areas of development what was what were you getting beaten on what what can we do moving forwards yeah absolutely and the reason why i say this i just from other coaching books i read there's sort of like a bit of great there is studies where the athletes who sort of lose very early on and let's say not have that natural talent but they keep enjoying the sport later on the winning streak does happen later on because i've just got that mental strength later on so it's it's really interesting, but from a coach's perspective, it shows that if you can tailor it, that losing is a part of life, which it is. I've learned that more and more the older I'm getting, but it's uh, the lessons you learn from the loss, which I think is fascinating. But one thing I want to touch on, you mentioned those three months when you were studying sort of business and getting a business plan. How important, looking back from that decision, that actually coaching is like a skill and it's important to learn from other aspects of life, like business knowledge or so you can use that knowledge into your own self-development because it's just sometimes when I was a coach when I was younger, it's like just got to focus on the coaching knowledge and not take inspiration from other walks of life like business. Basically, I think networking is key when you're a coach. One, it opens doors for you, creates opportunities. You need that support as a coach. You know, just not with your coaches that you're particularly working with. Also, I mean, I have a coach developer and they are they are just awesome. They they you know keep me in check. And they make sure I'm uh, working towards my own individual goals. And then obviously you make sure you you kind of have a good rapport with your director of the county, and the, you have good contacts with your national governing body. And they will kind of guide you as a coach. They'll tell you what opportunities are available. They'll They'll know what kind of CPD workshops to go on to, to help you improve as a coach. And with respect to the research, I'm constantly, you know, although it's not, it's not all about what you do on court, it's what you do off court and the prep work for it. So I'm constantly kind of maybe looking on YouTube, seeing if there's anything on a, on a particular, I don't know, skill that I'm not quite 100% on or how you work with a particular group. I mean, for me, disability badminton is, although I've been doing it for about five years now, I'm still learning. I'm st I still feel quite a new coach in that kind of area. And um, I'm constantly going on YouTube and trying to learn, especially as I've got a lot of wheelchair players, actually, what makes an, a, you know, a good, effective wheelchair player. Let's just touch on that, because I found this interesting on a WhatsApp call we had when I asked you some question like, how is it to coach? with different disabilities, you know, because like you said, wheelchair, but there's, there's disabilities isn't just one brand, uh, like band, there are people with different disabilities. I was just so curious myself of, as a coach, how do you adapt from, let's say, a you know, technical skill perspective? Um, yeah. I bet it's enjoyable yeah. because it makes you be a problem solver or thinking outside mm. the box of their technique. So I'd just love to hear your thoughts. You do. And do you know what? I think a lot of coaches are scared 
when it comes to working with players with a disability because I, I think some coaches do focus on that disability but at the end of the day you should be focusing on the player not their disability so much so you need to again you need to adapt so for example obviously keep with the the content with some of the skills but sometimes for example some of the wheelchair players don't have as much function in their trunk so you adapt the skill accordingly but you're still you know doing an overhead clear for example do you adapt it um so you might have to tweak the grip or the hitting point might be slightly different you just make tweaks and you sometimes i i go on and do some sessions and i say to the player let's see what works for you you know let's give this a go uh, and then we'll just adapt it and if it's effective for you then we'll roll with it i think that's so important because like you say i'm, I'm going back to the tennis world like not everybody has the same backhand because it can be a one-handed or two-handed but i'm just saying it's finding, I think that's a really important point, which I wanted to emphasise from a coaching sample, is not be shy to, if it's a natural shot swing, but doesn't look like your swing, and it works and it's going in the court and still affecting the opponent, I think that's a better approach than, should we say, following the manual of the perfect overhead clear, for example. So, um, yeah, no, that's brilliant. And just from a learning standpoint, like, what, how has this developed your coaching reflecting just working with disability or wheelchair athletes I'm just curious on that side of things as well from an individual standpoint I think it's you have your main session plan in your head but and you can write as many contingencies as you can <laughs> but you can not kind of sometimes you can't kind of cover every angle and I think even it doesn't have to be disability players, whatever session. I think there's always going to be something that's going to happen. Maybe a player comes in late because they're stuck in traffic or, you know, whatever. that You haven't written the contingency for everything. And I think you just have to... key word is adapting as a coach all the time. And when it comes to disability players, you... I think my, with respect to, I think definitely my communication skills has improved with them. I've become more confident working with these kind of players. But they're like everyone else. They want to work hard. They want to learn. Um, they're a lovely, they're an inspiring bunch of, of players that I have. They're just so inspiring. It, it sometimes blows me away. Um, that um, I mean, I can give you some examples, really. We recently, there's not much, not many opportunities, disability players. And I asked my director of Kent Badminton, can we put a disability tournament on? And there's some kind of top international tournaments that they have to be classified and you have to get so many points. And, and for some of my players, that's quite difficult because they can't quite meet that criteria. And I just wanted it, a tournament that was fun, that would encourage, you know, everyone from learning disabilities to physical disabilities, just to come down play badminton, have fun, and meet different people. Um, and we ran one for the first time in, in Kent, a disability tournament, um, a couple of weeks ago. And we had a good, I think, over 40 players, which is great. And we had the GB team come down, so some of the Paralympians. So they took part on the tournament on Saturday. And then on Sunday, um, I led like a disability festival with another coach from Wimbledon, from the Wimbledon Club, Lorraine. And we did a team relay at the end. And it was just phenomenal just to see 
people from all different disabilities coming together and having fun, enjoying badminton and just seeing them grow just even within that weekend was great. I mean, I, I've got two players that Venny just recently joined me. Venny had probably two months on court, were very anxious. And by the end of it, the growth and confidence within that player, or both of them, was just phenomenal. And as a coach, that's what makes it rewarding. You know, that's why I coach. I think I've got a big smile on my face. It's first time, really, like looking at, at a competition, not for winning, but for a competition for self-development. Because when I was younger, everything was like, oh, you've got to go to this competition. You know, like when parents have to take the kids to the next weekend's competition. But how you've just described it, it's quite nice to hear a different perspective of a competition that it's not just about, like you say, the outcome. Like it's great to have, shall we say, the podium or first, second and third of any comp. I think it's important um, because it gives you a goal. But on the other hand, it's nice, like you said, when you've got two players who are very anxious and then, within a weekend they've got out their own comfort zone through the competition experience this is this is why I've got a huge smile because I was like my goodness if I learned that what you've just said I think competitions would be looked from a different perspective um, from you know self-development and it's lovely to hear see your smile too of the fulfillment so really quickly like what's that what's your vision now now you've seen it firsthand like with the 40 players have you sort of got like a vision of maybe doing some more competitions um in this sort of feel or like style yeah um I, I think one what we're going to do is we're going to link up with other disability clubs within the southeast and we're going to have some friendlies which really we haven't done um and it's only because one because of the paralympics the awareness is out there a little bit more it's starting to become more disability clubs in the area i think probably five five years ago we had, we had two two or three sessions running for badminton disability wise um and i think that's growing and what and the good thing is as it's growing especially within our region we're able to have these friendlies and kent bampton did a phenomenal job actually uh, they put on a good show um made it really welcoming really well structured and run everyone enjoyed it and the gb team coach said I want this to be a regular thing so it will be on the calendar next year and we're already looking at another date and I think we uh, we may be part of the performance pathway as well but um, we have to watch this space because uh, (laughs) they're kind of just working on that at the moment but I think Kent will be on that map somewhere along the line. Well that is awesome if it's cool with you I may in my show notes have a have a link so people can check out the just competition in general, and I'd definitely love to just read more about it as well. I want to touch on one thing, which you said you met, you did trigger, and I think it's vital. My goodness, it isn't talked to enough from a coaching standpoint, and that's like having a structured session plan. Would you mind just sharing one the benefits of having a session plan? And I know it's this is the should we say the repetition of a coach that it should be a habit in time, but. Would you mind just sharing like the benefits of a session plan and out of interest, do you review your session plan in how you want to improve the next session with that group of individuals? Because I think if you learn this skill as a coach, it's it, this is where you really grow through the levels of coaching. Um, so I, I'd just love your thoughts on that, please. Yeah, I, I think it's crucial to have a session plan in place. Um, it gives you a focus as a coach 
so you'll know where you're going with it and you know every things are every time you replicate that session plan sometimes so for example if we go into we have set what we call a racket pack session plans that's the initiative racket pack but every school that you go into you'll tweak things and you'll learn that as a coach so at the end of each session you i do um, a review and just write down little notes sometimes of what worked what could have been a little bit better um and it just helps you as a coach that's how you grow as a coach um and also kind of ask you know the teachers how did they think it went and the and the and the children themselves what did you learn from the session today um is there anything that you you know maybe that you would have liked to see included in the session um i think it's vital getting feedback from the players maybe from the teachers from maybe other coaches that you work with that's how you learn that's how you grow as a coach I'll put you on the spot now. Out of interest, what one what one aspect from your coaching, from that review process, you've developed the most because you've done that part? Because people forget that part. Trust when I was coaching, they didn't teach me this. It's only when I did my level one, I'm like, oh my goodness, for the last four years, if I just learned this skill, I would have been more organized in certain parts of life. But also just it's just I'm just curious of what one thing from your review you've always adapted into your coaching because of the feedback you received. I'm just curious. Yeah, I could, it's, again, it's quite, um, it's quite an open question really. And um, I think be honest, as a coach, be honest with yourself, what works and what doesn't work. And never, as a, as a coach, I think yeah, you'll, you'll do your um, reflection of your sessions, you know, be yourself still. So just don't have the confidence, you know, go, right, that didn't work. So let's just give this a go, but have the confidence to do it. Because if you don't try, you don't know do you, at the end of the day if that's going to work or not. Getting feedback from other people is so valuable um, because what you think may work might be different to someone else, what they think works as well. So always be open to, to feedback from other people. That's what I've kind of learned through the years of my coaching is don't never be, never be afraid because I think there's sometimes there's some coaches that see it as a criticism when people give you feedback and I think you should be open and see it as constructive criticism and and positive feedback because they're just there to kind of help you as well along the journey as you are trying to help the players and the teachers and obviously I kind of um a lead coach for a performance sale and also the program. So I actually am working very closely with some coaches and helping them develop as coaches. I know it's probably going to be a hard question to answer, but just for any listeners listening in, okay, may not have applied that review or reflection into their coaching. May I ask like what time period you saw roughly where you saw by doing that side and applying it into the future sessions, it made a difference to those sessions. Was it a month? Was it three months or was it actually like six months where, ah, oh, what I, by doing this, now this session's achieving from that feedback? I know it's a hard one to answer, but I, I just want people to not to give up after one week. <laughs> I don't want like, just um, to do it for two sessions. Yeah, yeah. Although saying that, sometimes, I mean, there's been, I'll give you an example. Um, we've been, when I was doing the Racket Pack project uh, into schools, sometimes I would have near enough back to back. And sometimes I would have the same kind of key stage group, which I would deliver. Um, so it would be the same kind of session plan, actually, I'd work with. So 
when I go into one and I go, oh, that didn't work. So when I go into the second school, I'll go, right, I'm going to tweak it a little bit and see how that works. So on that point, I would say pretty much in the next session. Now, that's really cool because, you know, when sometimes when we say review and you're like, well, when's this going to show me the result? Because it's, you know, it's the future, isn't it, really, of if it's applied. So but what I didn't want is somebody to go, oh, my goodness, it could be three months till that could be implemented. So really quickly, this is I just want to emphasize to the listener, how important is it just to focus on that process as well, not, you know, one session at a time effect, then overwhelming the coach to focus on so many reviews of a session. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, don't do it for every finer detail. Just come up with, a, you know, a couple of little points. Go, you know, don't think, right, I've got a list of about 10 things that didn't work and try and implement all those 10 things in the next session. Just maybe focus on one or two things. Um, it's like when you're coaching your players and you're, you're teaching them a skill, you only give them one or two points to work on because it just would be too much information for them. So, and that's the same as coaching as well. You know, you want to kind of maybe try one or two tweaks to your next session plan. Because um, it will just, then you, if, you, if you do about 10, you're not going to know if it worked or not because you've raised too many changes. Do you know what I mean? So, Yeah, absolutely. I think this is why I'm just trying to state the obvious because sometimes when we try something new, overwhelm hits or we end up not even doing it because you say to yourself, well, this actually doesn't work. But actually, if you focus on the process and like you say, focus on two things, then 10, the more clarity you'll see the results later on within the group you're coaching. So, yeah, what a fascinating conversation. Now, one thing I do want to touch on, because I always say, and I've just interviewed different coaches on this podcast. I've always learned, as I said, this phrase already on this uh, conversation that coaching is a skill. And I ask how coaching has supported other parts of your life, like family life or just you know working life in general I'm just curious because I think if you learn this skill it's so adaptable in other parts of life so I'm just curious of how it supported you yeah no absolutely I think learning how to find out how what makes people tick um and kind of your communication skills definitely improves as a coach with time and I think it gives you confidence with those skills outside of outside of uh, kind of what we say off court as well and it and it will really help you as a person um also adaptability i mean i'm a mum so and you have to be adaptable i mean i have two kids but they're not the same <laughs> they're completely different so you just have to adapt so what you've done with one child is not going to be the same as what you do with another child so I think adaptability as a coach also comes into your personal life as well. I think leadership skills, you know, you have to be, as, you, as you've got busy lives, you have to be, have a little bit of structure in, in your life. Sometimes it is like a military operation just to get your kids out the door to go to school. <laughs> so you have to kind of have a few of those skills to, to, to be able to do that. And being able to prioritise as well, get that balance between a coach and making sure that you have time for yourself, your family and friends is really crucial. And I think as a, as a coach myself, sometimes I forget that. And with my coach develop, I'm actually working on that, trying to get a better balance um, and trying to focus on me a little bit more as a coach. Absolutely. Self-care is massive. And I think it's underrated with us as coaches because 
when I was experiencing it very early on, I was like, wow, the hours, the dedication behind the scenes, the session is like a fraction of the time for the preparation beforehand. And look, one thing I know you're really passionate about as well, and I wanted to bring up this conversation is like the importance of equality with the Oscar coaches and everybody having the access to coach and not just badminton. So I'd just love your thoughts of in the badminton world of like, is there development in equality with coaches in general? Because I know it's something you're working on with elite, the program you're working on now. I'd love you to talk in a lot more detail because I find it fascinating in having more female coaches in general to get involved at every level of the coaching, should we say, um, ecosystem in badminton. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that side of things. Yeah, definitely. Um, so last year, I kind of lost focus of, of myself. And I always, when I was chatting to friends, I said, I, I want to be an ambassador for female coaches. That's my aspiration. And I had a, um, an appraisal at work with my line manager and I said, right, this is what I'd really want to do. I'd love to set, set up a mentoring program well, for both, you know, female and male coaches at the place, because I'm very big on coach development as well. Um, but I said, I, I really want to be an ambassador for female coaching. After that appraisal, the next day, an email came through from Ramden, England, saying about this UK coaching course for female, uh, which is called Female Leadership and Performance. And it is as if it was meant to be. <laughs> it was the most, you know, weirdest of things. So I rang up contact there and I said, this is for me. Uh, this is what I want, I want to achieve. And he said, yeah, go for it. You know, we had to do a video uh, to apply for the course. And I was luckily enough one of nine to be selected to go onto the course in the whole of the country. Um, and I, my initial reasons for going onto that course is to learn about the framework about coach mentoring and obviously to learn from the other female coaches and share experiences. Obviously I knew we were going to be discussing uh, certain topics and being challenged on a few things as, as a coach. But what I've got out of it as well is what I wanted as a coach, which I lost my way um, a few years ago. And that's enabled me to grow as a coach, it's given me confidence. I've identified what I value as a coach and I've kind of been a lot more focused with my own goals and my aspirations. And I think it's, it's, it's great because I want to be a role model for female coaches. And just recently, um, I'm going to be working hopefully with Kent Sport as an ambassador for female coaches. And that's across all sports. So I'm really excited. So there's, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of behind the scenes things at the moment, um, try to identify the certain groups that they want to target. So that's obviously what's that space kind of scenario. But um, what we find with female coaches is at grassroots level, there's an even split between male and female coaches. But as the level and the standard of players goes up, then there's less females involved at a higher level. And I think what it is, is female coaches currently don't probably have that support or they don't have that confidence to just go for it. And what I want to help other female coaches do is to help them improve their own skills and help them improve their confidence. So they feel that they can actually go for these kind of roles at a performance level. 
Is it also, I'm just going deep here because it's like, as I said to you on a call, I sort of work a little bit of women's football and it's sort of the same sort of thing with female coaches. And a lot of it's also access as well. It, would you say there could be more access? Just This is brainstorming here, but could there be more access of like, you know, opportunities in general, or is it more the self-confidence? Is it more of an internal reason, meaning from the coach's perspective, or is it more just having a bit more access of application? I think it's a bit of both, actually. A lot of it's self-confidence, I think. And I don't, maybe they haven't got those role models, maybe in that county. But I think as as years go going by, there's, there's more awareness of it now. You know, I think that's why they're putting on these courses as well. Uh, and this this course that I'm on with UK Coaches is phenomenal, actually. Brilliant that you're networking with other coaches. We've even got a WhatsApp group that we're kind of sharing ideas with. Have you tried this bit of kit? Or I've got this scenario, what, what do you do? So it's really great that we feel comfortable um, that we can ask these kind of questions within this group. And I think sometimes some female coaches kind of are a bit scared of asking these questions because it makes them inferior to male coaches. Vulnerable. I mean, and vulnerable, that's right, yeah. And what I want to kind of help other female coaches do is not to feel like that and have the confidence to ask these questions and never be afraid to kind of say, you know what, I do need that extra bit of support. Um, and I think there's, sometimes as coaches, you, especially female coaches, you don't want to look vulnerable and uh, that you don't know what you're doing. So I think you get, I don't know, some people may judge you a little bit more, I don't know. But I think if we are honest as, as coaches, never be afraid to maybe say no sometimes, don't always say yes to everything and get and ask for support, then you're just going to grow as, as a coach and it will build your confidence up. I think a key thing is experiment like as a coach as well, like when I've learned from other coaches, um, I think Serena Williams is coach. I've got his name, but he was used like doing a Frisbee technique and he was relating that to like, it's like a uh, one-handed uh, backhand. And I thought, wow, what a cool way of learning. Like, and he was got all his players throwing Frisbees. And I'm just trying to say like, we're in the world now where as long as it has a, a focus on the performance, I think experimenting is a really good way to just think outside the box from a learning standpoint. And um, I can tell your enthusiasm on it, but I, if you don't mind, I do have one question. And, you know, you did say the last two years you lost away. And the reason I say that is I've even lost my way on my podcast. And I think everybody's career journey, eps and flows, few downs, few ups. And I'm, for me, I, I've burnt out um, and I had to accept that. Um, sometimes we don't. And, and it was only, it was actually during 2020 because it was like, I had a lot on and I would say I lost my way and I had to realign my focus of like self-care and stuff like that so may I ask like you said you lost your way would you mind sharing that because I think coaches sometimes we brand ourselves or you know when I was a tennis coach you brand yourself as a young tennis coach and you think well that's it for the next 20 years and it's all going to be smooth or but actually people lose the love of it sometimes and I'm just you know I'm, I'm intrigued of Maybe it's this project you're doing now that sparked the enthusiasm and looking at coaching at a more bigger level. But I, I, if you wouldn't mind, could you just share how you lost your way and how this maybe this project has re, relit your motivation in what you're doing? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, I'm still enjoying my coaching, even when I lost my way a little bit. And um, 
I focused a lot on helping other people, um, both on and off court. And I think because I did that, I forgot about me. And then I went on this course thinking I'm just going to be here to learn about the framework of, of a good mentoring program. And then I was challenged by the person running the course. What do you want? And it, it stumbled. I Basically, it threw me off my guard, actually. I was like, well, what do you mean? I want to help other people. And she goes, but what do you want? What do you value? <laughs> and it kind of was, was a like a light bulb effect. I was like, oh, my God, I've actually forgotten about me. Um, and so I kind of, you know, broke it down, chatted to other female coaches and, and came up with that, yes, I do need extra support. And yes, I do need to think about my health and well-being a lot more. So now I'm working with my coach developer to, to making sure that I have those pockets that I'm doing things for myself now. Out of interest, this is one thing I've learned, is do you now set some boundaries for yourself? Well, I'll give you one example. It was actually happened yesterday due to this technical world and LinkedIn. And we can now connect with people virtually like within a click of a fingers. Like I now sort of set a boundary after eight o'clock I don't take any phone calls um unless it's client but my point is like new like reaching out calls because if not you can end up doing calls to 11 o'clock if you speak to people around the world and I just set that boundary and um it's something I've just learned now where my goodness just having some small boundaries it just yeah like you say you're setting time for yourself I'm just curious if you've, if you've set boundaries for you uh, of those pockets of time yeah I, I suppose because my my job is very varied I coach at different and odd times I, I look at the the weekly picture and I go right okay so during this time this is my day off or um this is when I'm gonna you know me and the kids are gonna do something fun you know whatever that may be I mean they my kids are heavily into their football actually <laughs> so they both uh participate for a, a football team um, so just giving myself that that time out to to go and watch them play, enjoy, and, and maybe go because I live right near the beach, so I go down to the beach, take them for that milkshake. You know, just give yourself that that break and that time because it will. You need that as a coach, I think, because it is sometimes full on. Um, it's enjoyable, but so you do need that break. You need you need that self care. Well, thank you so much for sharing that because I think this isn't talked enough about and like I think it's important without a doubt um, with regards to like managing time and especially from a coach, it's it's so continuous. I'm just really quick, you've just triggered all the tennis camps I had in the summer and they just merged one after the other. And, you know, it, it, it can be, when I say this, like a factory line of one lot of children and then another lot and your mental space is so focused on those sessions, not... Um, of course enjoying it but then afterwards taking a time to really detox um with regards to our own health and other aspects of life in general but look i've really enjoyed this conversation out of interest though what have you enjoyed the most from your coaching journey looking back right now do you know what there's i mean i've been coaching for quite a long time now and um there's so many magical moments i've had through my co coaching journey but i think it's it, it's kind of meeting so many different people, um, so many inspirational people along the way um, and being part of their journey as well, being able to help them achieve 
goals maybe that they didn't think were actually possible. And and just to see, I love to you help people, you know, I love it when they're happy, where they, they're smiling or they've just achieved a certain skill. I've seen some players where they're kind of, they're very shy, very timid, don't have very much confidence. And within a month or so, you see them grow and slowly come out of that. And I feel proud to be a coach that I've helped, you know, help them along that journey um, and help them develop as individuals. Um, and that's that's key for me, really. It's so fulfilling and rewarding as a coach. I, I can't say anything else, really. I mean, it is coaching week, UK coaching week, isn't it? And I think hashtag born to coach is me, Twitty. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I can hear it in your enthusiasm. And without a doubt, coaching is something it's it's I'm going to say it's, it's more than the paycheck. It really is because you you want to develop. Um, of course, you want to earn a living. I always say you've got to have that aspect. But I mean, when with coaching, it's all about the person you are helping in any sport. Um, and uh, as I said, I can hear it in your tonality. And look, I really do hope the listeners have enjoyed this with regards to understanding behind the scenes of a coach, not just in badminton, but it's so pliable in any type of coaching. And I always like to finish, Leslie, with an inspirational question. You've given great examples. We've talked about different aspects of coaching, like a session plan. Please, again, take notes on that side of things and reviewing your sessions. But just with regards to, like, the listener applying, like, three qualities reflective of your career that have supported you to being a coach, like, what would those three qualities be so they can put it into action straight after listening to this podcast? Yeah, my, my three tips for other coaches are one, be yourself as a coach. Try not to be a coach that other people want you to be. Yes, get that content out, the right content. Let your personality shine through your sessions. The second one is give it time. You know, coaching is a journey. So you'll, you'll be learning what works, what doesn't work. Have the confidence to follow your aspirations. And then the third one is, is networking. Networking is key. You can learn so much from other people. Other people will give you that support that you need and when you need it, and it can open doors for you. Absolutely. I think I know we didn't touch much on the networking, but it's vital. And you learn from others, learn from different experiences. So look, I hope people apply those tips into practice straight after listening to this with regards to your coaching career journey. But out of interest, Leslie, how can people connect with you on social media like where are the best places to go well i work at the king's school recreation center so we have a big website there and there'll be links of how to contact me also uh, i'm a lead coach at the fallen bampton academy so there's also a website for that and facebook i'm mainly on facebook and i do have a twitter account as well but mainly the facebook is the the main one that you can link me in so it'd be leslie uphill uh, Bampton coach, tutor and personal trainer if they want to look me up. That is great to all the listeners listening in. All those links will be on my website with regards to this podcast chat. Leslie, it's been a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Thank you. What a wonderful podcast chat with Leslie. And from a coaching perspective, I hope you've got a better understanding about the power of having the ability to adapt when coaching. Like there are clear indications from our podcast chat with Leslie that adapting with your environment, adapting with the type of student, adapting with regards to your self-growth, it's so key to all different components of coaching within 
and also with the people you're working with. And I think that's what I really enjoyed about this conversation is we went deep on certain aspects of coaching, not just badminton, but any sport. But one fundamental I want to highlight again, which is like the foundation of coaching is that lesson plan and self-reflection that lesson plan of ha- and having the ability to really reflect after a session what went well, taking on constructive criticism and really just listening to others and how you can get better. Because like anything, the foundations really set the tone of how you develop as a coach or in anything, by the way. And I just feel looking back when I was listening to Leslie during the conversation, it was just bringing so many flashback memories when I was a tennis coach. And I was like, my goodness, I wish I applied this. I wish I applied that. So if you're into coaching in whatever sport, I hope you had that feeling as well in certain aspects of your coaching style, which you can develop with regards to certain topics we've discussed today. And with regards to a coaching career development standpoint, right at the end with some tips, I have to state the obvious because I think sometimes we forget this and we actually both touched on it ourselves how uh, Leslie and myself sort of lost direction of our career is being yourself is vital. It may sound cliche, but it's, it's amazing when you dedicate yourself to something, if it's coaching, for me, podcasting, having a clear direction that inspires you is vital and being you is important as well. Like without a doubt, you should have role models without a doubt. You should learn from others and model them. But at the end of the day, people from a coach perspective want the best version of you. So being yourself in how you coach is vital and never, never forget that. So on that note, really apply this podcast to your coaching development now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Leslie said, networking is key in the coaching sector. You can learn from other people which can give you the support you need and it can open doors for you too.